Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your loving host, Dylan Bowman, here today with another Matt Walsh. Consistent listeners will know my Australian friend and strength coach, Matt Walsh, who has been on the show twice. Well, this is a different Matt Walsh, but he also has a great accent and is fun to listen to. Today's Matt Walsh is a media and advertising expert based in the UK. He also publishes a great newsletter on Substack called Trail Mix, which analyzes the trail running media ecosystem. And as a person who subscribes to and reads dozens of newsletters, I can tell you that Trail Mix is a great product. It is a must read for me, given my work with free trail. But I think it's also something that general trail fans would enjoy to bring context to the quickly evolving broadcasting, live streaming, media and advertising landscape in our wonderful sport. We talk all about trail running demographics, the advances in live streaming, the recently announced distribution deals between UTMB and L'Equipe in France and Outside Interactive here in North America. We talk also about the other deal announced between the Golden Trail World Series and Eurosport. We talk about the economics of those deals and what it means for the organizations and the sport in general. We talk about bundled and unbundled media, the challenges of journalism, and a lot more. I hope you enjoy this fascinating conversation. As always, the Free Trail Podcast is presented by Speedland, the makers of the GS Tam, the beautiful orange shoe that I personally helped to design and develop in partnership with Dave Dombrow and Kevin Fallon, the founders of the brand. This Max Cushion shoe is the perfect option for your summer trail racing. I happened to get invited off the wait list into the hard Rock 100 happening in eight weeks, and I am so excited to have these shoes to carry me around that spectacular 100-mile loop in the San Juans in just eight weeks' time. You should check out the brand and check out the product, the next big brand in the outdoor industry, I am convinced. Visit runspeedland.com and use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. Before we get to the show, I would love to invite you all to join FreeTrail Pro if you haven't checked it out. Our digital community, it's super special. It's an amazing thing that we are very proud of. Join more than 750 trail runners in the FreeTrail Slack community, which has become the go-to platform for deep trail running banter, sharing your love of the sport with a global community of like-minded people. Membership is only $10 a month or $96 for the year, and there is a free trial. So come check it out. We'd love to greet you and follow your journey in the sport. Visit freetrail.com or find the link to join Free Trail Pro in the show notes. Thanks so much for being here. Hope you enjoy the episode. Matt Walsh, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. That's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. So we're going to talk all about media in trail running. You operate a great newsletter called Trail Mix, which we'll talk all about. But maybe first to get the conversation started and introduce you a little bit to the Free Trail audience, just tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do professionally, and uh, what your goals are with the Trail Mix newsletter. Certainly. Yes. So, yeah. So I'm Matt Walsh. I come from the UK, as you may be able to tell from my, my accent, um, uh, up in the north in Manchester. 
but uh in terms like where i came came upon with the the newsletter uh is i work in media so i work on the advertising side of things in media and uh, so i work with a lot of brands in terms of how, how and where they should be buying um uh, kind of like media placements and what i found with uh as a kind of trail run on the side as well was that there's just like so much um going on in traveling so it's like well i might as well apply my knowledge from media which i've kind of uh, built upon in the past uh, five years um, in terms of kind of really uh, diving into the, the detail the lot of detail around media and trying to see if you can apply that kind of stuff to to kind of trail running so hence why i came up with uh, trail mix and kind of start from there so professionally you work for an ad agency and is yes. your job to quantify the effects of advertising on brands and products so um i can come from the research side of things so i um uh, what we do is typically we go um through uh vast sorts of kind of a syndicated surveys so very large surveys we do interviews with people we um kind of uh, analyze data from different uh, tv as well as radio um, publishers as well as print and online uh, and what we do is kind of make a recommendation towards our clients as towards um your audiences are consuming this relevant media say for instance uh your 18 to 25 year olds on tiktok up for three hours a day and, and so we should be recommending uh, putting in uh, three different sets of ads in these placements that kind of thing um we get very detailed very quickly and we're very data focused in my job um uh, and so for for me that kind of like richness um is quite interesting because i just love that uh kind of uh, the detail that you can provide to people um uh, and really kind of uh, try some kind of business decisions by just focusing on singular data points yeah so before we get into more of the details and i think there's a lot there that we can expand on i'd love to hear just a little bit more about your experience in the sport it sounds like you're a trail runner also and maybe just talk about the original insight as to how you felt like your voice would fit in the current media ecosystem and and what you're trying to provide with trail mix yeah so uh i started up trail running probably uh, eight years ago, I was never a runner. I wasn't. I didn't do high school. Uh, we did uh, cross country back in the day, and I was the one at the back, just with my friends, because we didn't want to do the run. Uh, we were quite, yeah. quite just just jogging through and that kind of thing. But Cantrone came to me um, probably when I was in university. Um, well, it's just, I've always had a very large hiking background and I've always wanted to try and expand the distances I ran uh, or distances I traveled when it came to kind of going outdoors. And so for me, traveling was that kind of gateway uh, into doing that. And so uh, I, I kind of start from there. My walks turned into runs and, and now my, my runs turn into very, very, very long runs in terms of ultramarathons. Uh, so for instance, I've got the um, uh, Lakeland 100 coming up in, I think it's eight weeks now. Um, All which right. is, is going to be quite daunting. Um, yeah. <laughs> but um, my first hundred mile, but um, it's one of those things that uh, we should kind of develop from there. Um, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of my, my, my history with, with traveling. And I think it was um, that kind of inspiration um, which really drove me into um, kind of starting the whole newsletter and everything. Yeah. Well, it's. Your newsletter is fantastic, and I'm sure I'll say that many times over the course of our conversation here. And you were 
uh, kind enough to sit down with me about six months ago to help me sort of think about free trail and ways in which we could optimize our business as somebody who is very much trying to be a media operator, but who doesn't come from, you know, uh, that professional experience. So I appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me then. And I'm excited to have you on the podcast now. I figured we'd start by talking about your most recent newsletter, where you sort of unpack the demographics of trail runners. And you say that the demographics are maybe surprisingly similar to golf, which might be counterintuitive to a lot of our listeners here. So for those who aren't subscribed to the Trail Mix newsletter, maybe you could just kind of summarize the findings of that study and more generally why demographics are important to this greater media conversation. Certainly. So yeah, so um, with the kind of the study itself was done by a guy called Carl uh, Morris in Lancaster, Lancaster. And it was all really just about understanding trail runners. And it's something that I've kind of had as a, a quandary throughout this whole kind of process of trying to analyze the media market in trail running is that everyone has a different idea of what the trail runner is or who they are. Like you go to a trail race and you will see a whole variety and mixture of people. Um, and so you'll think, oh, okay, trail running is a really diverse sport and, and it's, uh, we have lots of young people as well as old people and a great mixture. Um, but uh, and then when you go online, there's loads of anecdotal information around like, oh, my friends uh, are very scientific and they're into uh, trail running. Um, therefore, a lot of kind of trail runners are really scientific. It's kind of that's great. But without actually understanding the audiences and who trail runners are, um, the products that your kind of your brands and your media corporations, um, your even race organizations create in terms of like the media they're putting out there in terms of the messaging they're using, the ads they're doing, whatever. Um, it's all going to be skewed to a certain audience towards like who they think the kind of their bias is towards like who the trail runner is. Yeah. So without kind of knowing that, um, we're going to be creating a lot of kind of biased information out there and going to kind of uh, construct an entire ecosystem that kind of caters towards one type of audience. So this kind of information that kind of Carl produced with the study was really fascinating in that he just did a, a very large quantitative survey of US and uh, UK uh, fell trail and ultra runners um, uh, and compiled them all into a public study. And what was really interesting about the demographics, which was just one part of uh, a lot of different things, was that, yeah, what he found was in his summary, I think it went something along the lines of uh, trail runners are predominantly uh, white, middle-aged uh, and economically privileged uh, and highly educated people. And so what all I did really was took that kind of general audience and applied it to our kind of normal uh, demographics of other sports. And we follow the same lines as golfing and the same lines as Ironman, which is absolutely fascinating because you don't put the two together. Right? You don't put a golfer and a trail runner together. But demographically, they're very similar. So that kind of opens up conversations around, okay, so when it comes to brands that should be participating in the sport, should we be actually be talking to the likes of Rolex? Rolex sponsor golfers, uh, so golfing tournaments, because they know their audience is going to be quite uh, rich with uh, wealth and they're quite highly educated and they're looking for those kind of things. That same audience is us. So really, should we also be contacting like Rolex and such like that? It opens much broader conversations, um, but it also kind of opens uh, other kind of avenues as towards. So we actually have a very small population of uh, young children. There's there's not that many uh, in like the below 25 age bracket. Uh, why is that? 
and yeah. it's this kind of like research and uh, and kind of information about demographics which really kind of alters our kind of perception of of media and kind of answers a lot of questions as towards why are we seeing the content that we're seeing yeah and as a media researcher i'm sure it was really thought provoking for you and of course the sport can do better in terms of diversity and I think that's a different conversation for a different day, but am I correct in assuming that the demographic that exists in trail running is an attractive one to advertisers? Can we expect to see <laughs> Rolex and BMW sort of coming into the space in the same way they play in golf? Completely. That that was the kind of thing is that um, the reason advertisers, of course, will look at an audience and the reason they look at an audience is because they want to know Will they have enough wealth as, to afford our product? So if you are a kind of an everyday kind of Coca-Cola, demographics don't matter too much to you. But when it comes to uh, more expensive products like, yes, your the, the hotels, the um, kind of watches, the cars, all those kind of things mean that uh, they'll be looking at those kind of the audiences that are bizarrely that are trail runners. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, when it comes to sponsorship still, and I think you need to be expanding maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send an email to the sports marketing professionals yeah, yeah, at Rolex <laughs> there afterwards. Um, so there have been two major developments on the media front that I'd love to have you unpack. The recent partnership and distribution deal between UTMB and L'Equipe in France and, and Outside Interactive here in North America also the Golden Trail World Series and their partnership with Eurosport. But before we get to both of those, I'd love to talk about just live streaming in general. It feels like we are at the dawn of a new age in mm. the sport where race broadcasting is really truly turning into a fantastic product and a great viewing experience. So maybe generally, can you just kind of talk about the importance of distribution for sports like ours and any other sort of um, just thoughts or reactions about this early evolution in live streaming? Yeah, completely. And it's, it's one of the most interesting and fascinating areas of, of trailing, but of sport at the moment in general. So to kind of cast a, a wider picture around kind of um, the kind of distribution and, and that um, traditionally um, sports uh, from the early kind of 20th century um, have all been kind of looking at um, uh, how they can distribute the mass media. Uh, and for um, sports going from like the 90s, um, that a lot of the time was TV. Um, and when they found that um, TV actually brought a lot of um, audiences and was able to kind of connect the, the fan towards the sport um, and actually captured a very a large audience, advertisers got involved and media is funded largely by advertising. And so for kind of um, for the kind of the past 20 odd years, uh, there's been uh, very much a standardized um, output of um, if you are a sport, you are a league, um, you need to be thinking about your um, distribution and you need to be thinking about it through TV. That is the that's the goal. That's the golden goose. Um, but what we've seen, of course, over the past like five years is that different um, kind of uh, partners coming into it. So you have um, live streaming from a, a director fan thing. So you have uh, the likes of um, uh, even UTMB has it at the moment in terms of their website where um, they are live streaming on their website. That is direct to the fan. You can go through YouTube as well. And that's live streaming as well. Um, and that kind of circumvents the traditional method of 
go to um, uh, kind of uh, traditional media broadcasters because they will um, produce that reach that you need for a, a, a kind of a sport to grow. Because um, that is again the ultimate idea is that more more kind of publicate more kind of reach of your uh, of your product your your sport equals more fans and therefore more money for your advertising and therefore more revenue for you as a sports league and that's kind of the the chain reaction um and, and so that's kind of like been uh, the whole uh, kind of paradigm of the past kind of 10 years yeah so are you as impressed as i am about how quickly it feels like things have evolved on the race broadcasting front Yes. Yeah. So much, so much. Like, uh, I think it, it probably the past three years or something where I've kind of been properly following it, but it's gone from, um, we have like highlight packages and the odd sport maybe kind of has, um, uh, someone following along behind them with, with a kind of a camera to now where it's like, you look at kind of Jamil's work and like the innovation he's got there. It's absolutely fascinating from drones to using Starlink to, to kind of, um, following people on bikes and, uh, having that kind of data at the bottom in terms of uh, the formats, the visualizations. There's so much innovation that like trailing is going through so rapidly yeah. that I think we, um, we're kind of, we, I always thought we'd kind of playing catch up a lot of the time. I was thought, oh, maybe we, uh, we're just kind of trying to uh, get there, uh, get to where uh, everyone else is in the sport. But actually, I think we're already caught and we're getting ahead. I think because like with Alexis, like using Starlink and such like that, it's ahead of a lot of other kind of, um, uh, sports that are kind of traditionally struggling this with this in the niche round size. Yeah. I'd love to come back and talk about Jamil here in a second. I, Saw him at an event in Southern California last week, and we were mm -hmm. talking about the Cocodona live stream that they executed. And he said that it was, I think he said it was over 100 hours of broadcasting over the course of the 250-mile <laughs> event, which, of course, is a massive endurance undertaking in itself, but also a wonderful service to the community. And there was consistently 1,500 people watching this 250 mile race evolving mm -hmm. at a snail's pace over the course of a week. And I think it just shows the appetite that exists out there. I think as we start talking about mainstream media distribution, 1500 viewers doesn't feel like an attractive number. They'd probably want to be seeing numbers, orders of magnitude larger than that. But I think it signals just the appetite that's out there and with the proper packaging and storytelling, just how incredible the viewing experience is. Maybe another thing that's just coming to mind now from me that you could comment on. I think I've, I don't, I can't recall specific numbers, but I know I've heard multiple times in various places that with Tour de France coverage, the mountain stages are significantly more popular and gather more viewers than the time trials or the sort of flatter stages. I'm wondering if there's something that we can draw a, you know, a, a relationship to there in terms of, you know, maybe if UTMB or Sears and all, if they are able to create a broadcast experience in a package and distribute it appropriately, you know, is that a more compelling viewing experience than something like the Boston Marathon? Anything you want to sort of react to there, just in terms of like yeah, landscape meets drama of competition? That's it. I think it's the 
spectacle and the drama, right? I think we we can talk for days about distribution mechanisms and, and uh, everything else. But if you don't have a product that is captivating, that draws people in, I was saying about the mountain stages, one of the best things about the mountain stages for, for me anyway, is that it's the kind of, you can feel the pain they're going through. You know they've been grinding up that hill for absolutely hours. You, it's hard to comprehend that also they've also done 10 days worth of like 100, uh, 100 to 200 mile uh, kind of cycling. Uh, and they're there just kind of grinding up that hill. It's, it's the, it's, as a viewer, it puts you in that kind of perspective of like, you can kind of feel it. And it's that idea that, um, with, with magical drama, with that kind of, um, uh, spectacle that it, it is, you kind of, uh, need that in a sport really because i think when we come to like ceo zonal which again which was interesting in terms of we'll come to it later but the golden trail series um they struggled with um actually uh putting it on live stream and hence why i wasn't involved in the eurosport um package but if you saw it um the other week throwing it down with rain it was muddy it was not it was a horrible thing to actually kind of think about yeah. but everyone is out there there's so many people in the chat there's so many people watching it and some people were impressed like that's the thing it's we the, i think a lot of like ultra running is, is a human endeavor it's a struggle and i think that's something that really appeals to people yeah. um and so we don't need to have like the uh, kind of speed of a hundred meter sprint. Yeah. We have that kind of um, human tenacity that uh, kind of ultra running trail runners show in their sport. I think if we kind of package that up um, uh, in a way that uh, draws people in, keeps people engaged, um, I think we do have a, a kind of a perfect arena here for what could be a really entertaining sport. I think it just needs those tweaks. I love it. And I feel very much the same. And you're referencing Zagama, which happened a couple of weeks ago. Zagama, yeah. It was uh, rainy and, and muddy, but with thousands of adoring spectators yeah. and fans and a great visual experience for those who tuned in to the broadcast. And we'll come back and talk about Golden Trail Series here in a second. I wanted to start, though, with UTMB because that deal was announced first. And really, I'd like to go through both of these new partnerships in detail and have you give us the broad strokes of what it actually means for the race organizations and for the sport in general. So starting with UTMB, can you just kind of give us the the uh, high level details of this new partnership between L'Equipe and France outside interactive here in North America and uh, just, you know, the, the general details around it? Yeah, so um, the UTMB group uh, and kind of the outside deal were relatively similar in that. So it was um, UTMB have had a partnership with Group last year, and they had uh, it was two hours of live broad, live broad, broad, live broadcasting of um, UTMB uh, for kind of I think two hours at the start and I think six hours at the end of the actual race itself. So it wasn't a lot, but it came up with additional packages in terms of like they're a news organization, so they had content on the side. With this year, they have extended that partnership uh, with Equip um, to uh, you had 10 uh, live streaming um, uh, packages on Equip Live, which is an online broadcast, um, uh, kind of live uh, over the top platform. Uh, and then you have, again, the UTMB 100, uh, 100 mile event still has the same two hours and six hours. Um, with outside, it's very similar in that it was a, um, they now, uh, 
uh, live streaming 10 different events um, on their uh, outside watch platform um, but they also um, have kind of uh, their highlight package as well as um, uh, some additional content on the outside fast channels as well um, which is something that I don't it is not really useful for UTMB that much but it's something that's quite interesting considering in terms of the future of uh, kind of broadcasting and, uh, and live television working on to that another time um, I think what's really interesting about this kind of development from UTMB was that um, it shows them their kind of strategy as towards they're going more towards the online live streaming audience versus going direct to that kind of traditional uh, go to the live TV on broadcast as we kind of talked about earlier. Now, when I kind of had a look at that initially uh, and then kind of the initial deal, I was a bit almost disappointed because um, the live streaming um, is great. But what they kind of failed to mention in their actual kind of uh, press release was that they're also showing the exact same live streams on YouTube. So um, for a fan, why would you go to Loqueep or outside um, when you could just watch it on YouTube and have the chat functionality there and have a lot more there? So in terms of the additional distribution of it, yes, you're on different owned platforms, um, but they can cannibalize each other. The value that uh, UTMB is accrued by these things isn't that much greater in terms of um, uh, attention. It might get uh, greater revenue for them in terms of its additional spots for their advertisers to be advertising in. So then it now can go on, uh, if they advertise with UTMB, they are now on a Loqueep and outside. So it's a great package for them to sell. Um, but the actual benefit for the fan wasn't there for me when I kind of saw these initially. Um, uh, and I, I think it will be interesting to see how it develops because uh, the likes of um, Canyons as well um, struggled with their uh, live uh, broadcast already. And so that was part of one of the packages. Yeah. Um, so how they can advance um, with this if they're already struggling with their um, production capabilities um, is another, another question, really. So am I right in assuming that people like you and I would definitely go to YouTube to consume this product directly, but that the benefit from UTMB's perspective would be that through Lakeep and outside, they'd be able to potentially speak to new audiences who otherwise haven't or yes. don't know what you do. Yeah, yeah, completely. And that's that's always that's gonna be a thinking like outside, of course, with the US captures the the whole outside sports arena yeah. now with all the kind of the publications they have. So they're always gonna be trying to look for additional um kind of reach there spontaneously happening upon uh this uh this new content that they're live streaming if they're going on live uh, outside watch. Same again with Loqueep. Um they saw some great numbers through Loqueep last year. I think it was something like uh, 2.3 million watched it live um on the TV. Um, but um, we didn't have any kind of uh, live streaming numbers, so we don't know what that would be this year. It would be yeah. interesting to see what the differences are. Um, <laughs> um, it would be uh, quite uh, fascinating to kind of uh, watch that develop over the time to see um, whether we see this difference between the broadcast um, live and the um, uh, on-demand. Can you explain the economics of how this works? Uh, understanding that you, I'm sure, don't have the inside information, but typically, for example, the NFL here in the United States sells its broadcast rights to the highest bidder, various media distribution channels. Is that what's happening here? Can we assume that Outside and Lakeep are paying high-priced 
media rights deals to UTMB in order to have the rights to broadcast? So that is a question I would love to know the answer to. And I have hounded a lot of uh, different journalists uh, and PR uh, departments about this. But so my uh, initial reading of this, what it seems to be um, is that in terms of the deals with outside and with um, uh, Le Equipe, from the surface, it sounds like they have just, um, it's a kind of a trial run for the Le Equipe and outside. They're donating this space um, and allowing uh, UTMB to kind of broadcast them here, knowing that for the Lurkweep and outside, they have the benefits of um, having that additional content, like I was talking about outside with their fast channel, that's a, a free ad-supported TV. And so that is a channel that is just 100% ads um, with content on the side. Um, and so they rely on more content. When it comes to... Um, uh, the kind of the media rights deal with the Queep, they didn't increase their TV space uh, in terms of the live broadcasting. So for them, the deal hasn't changed that much. To put something on live stream online isn't that difficult because you can have with the Queep, I think there's uh, five different, uh, three different channels. So you can have three different things going on all at the same time live. So there's not much difficulty for them there. Um, and so with that, it's mostly a shared thing. When it comes to uh, uh, traditionally with like, um, we'll come to it later, but with the likes of uh, the Golden Trails uh, series, uh, kind of the rumours around that one in terms of how they got their media rights deals, it's, it's really interesting and fascinating for us to kind of know this information because it's all about what is the value of trail running as a sport mm -hmm. media rights deals are great to know for their numbers because it's really interesting uh, fascinating to know like 100 million uh, well 8 million spent here and 3 billion here whatever but it's it's that value that's tangible that we can then apply to kind of trail running in terms of the future towards how do we grow as a sport? And then again, we have to then think about the distribution of that uh, money. Does that additional media rights mean a growth for our sport in general? Yeah, really interesting. And yeah, I want to expand on this a little bit further when we get to the Golden Trail series, but maybe talking about outside specifically here for a second, part of their relationship with UTMB or their agreement through Trail Runner Magazine was also having some written publishing and you made a point in your newsletter to reach out to Zoe Rome, the great editor-in-chief over there at Trailrunner Mag. And she was careful to say that there will be a strict editorial independence maintained with Trailrunner Magazine. And everybody knows, who knows Zoe, trusts that, you know, she is the, uh, exemplifies journalistic integrity. And I actually, I pulled a quote out of your newsletter here where she said, UTMB will in no way be able to influence our content outside of an agreement that we will do previews for the events, but they can't influence how, when, why we do them. There is an editorial firewall that won't be violated and no partnership will change that. And it reminded me of another newsletter that you had written that engaged Zoe also just kind of talking about the state of sports journalism more generally. So I'd love to open the door to that conversation about, you know, the current state of media and why that's made the journalism business model really difficult. And maybe you mm -hmm. could speak uh, specifically about, you know, why that's the case in trail running. Yeah. So with, um, with journalism in general, it's kind of gone through a, a rocky patch in the past 20 years, largely because uh, journalism and news has 
advertising is funded. So that is attention. That is are people actually um, in terms of online media clicking on what we're producing. Um, uh, and so for a lot of uh, kind of news organizations, when they gear towards that thinking as towards, okay, so money equals people, more people equals more money. Therefore, we need to just keep making content that people keep clicking on. And so in that scenario, it's always going to be uh, uh, what we call service-based content. That So content that serves the purpose so in trail running that is your shoe review that is your uh kind of uh the best foods um that jim Wamsey recommends for a race that kind of thing um people always click on them it's evergreen people really want to know about these things people are always looking for shoes there's gonna be loads of people clicking on that um and that content's really great it serves a purpose in terms of it serves people but what um when it comes to journalism um what i was kind of um talking to kind of Zoe about and, and kind of other editors, what I wanted to know was the kind of the more the stories that dive into, um, uh, let's say kind of the background to these deals that we're talking to in the media context, maybe, or maybe even uh, holding a UTMB account for certain policies that they're imp- uh, implementing. These things that really journalism always traditionally done in terms of kind of uh, making sure that uh, there is accountability and responsibility um, for people's comments and actions. Uh, and when it comes to that kind of realm, it it doesn't attract the same amount of attention or impressions, clicks that that service-based content does. So as a, as a media organization who's funded by advertising, um, you always have to kind of balance this, but the balance will always shift towards the most popular, interesting stuff, uh, stuff that get, gathers the most advertising the dollars, which is that. So journalism uh, over the past kind of 10 years has kind of shrunk down in terms of newsroom jobs, in terms of actual uh, kind of media organizations you've seen over the past kind of well, five months, really, in this year. So many, I think, four or five different media organizations closing themselves. BuzzFeed News, not exactly the highest pillar of journalism, but their news uh, organization actually shut a shut um, completely yeah um, it's one of these things that as a sport is interesting for us because what do we value really in us in our sport do we value just the learning constant shoe reviews or actually do we um value hearing and holding um all our kind of uh organization our races runners um all these things um, to account hearing the stories, the backstories, all these kind of interesting things that we want to know about the wider sport and will help develop our kind of the storylines, the the kind of uh, the whole general atmosphere around trail running, um, the fandom of it. We want to know that or do we want to keep developing that? And that's kind of the issue with kind of, uh, or the tension anyway, with modern media companies at the moment who are largely ad-reliant. Yep. I think the example you use in the newsletter was about a journalistic piece that Trailrunner Magazine did around UTMB's non-binary policy and how little traffic that got in relationship to an article about Camille Heron's training strategies. So, yeah, when when the incentive is getting, you know, eyeballs and therefore selling advertising to keep your operation and your employees, uh, you know, employed... Um, you know, the, the incentive is to get things that advertisers want and journalism isn't necessarily, uh, doesn't really provide a great product for, for advertisers. So there's a tension there that I think, uh, journalists across all different sports are dealing with right now. Um, before we get to 
the Golden Trail World Series. I'd also love to give you a chance to talk about the UTMB media impact report that you did last year, just after UTMB Mont Blanc at the end of the summer. And you sort of did a deep analysis about UTMB in the conversation that was specifically happening on Twitter. So can you maybe summarize the findings of that impact report and some of the things that maybe were surprising that you learned? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, to a bit of context to that, uh, after kind of a UTMB last year, I, I was really intrigued by just looking at that impact because it's one of the first times that we've had the full-fledged uh, UTMB media uh, production team going all at it. Um, and I just wanted to see what's there an impact. And so in terms of um, on the likes of Twitter, I looked also at kind of like search volumes as well. Um, the actual kind of size of the conversation was uh, tremendous. And I think what was really interesting for, for me was that um, in terms of kind of the, it was all around races uh, and it was all around specifically, like, uh, of course, Killing Journey produ- producing the, the highest volume there. was fascinating about that, which is obviously he was going to capture it, but it was the volume versus other people. So it was like, for instance, Killian would have, I can't remember the exact numbers now, but um, close to a million uh, um, video views for one uh, video that was uh, put onto TikTok, whereas every other video um, that they uh, UTMB produced um, on TikTok, they had maybe 10 to 100,000, not too much. Um, uh, but it kind of goes to show the impact of having almost celebrity runners involved with a organization involved with a race and so i think what was kind of uh kind of takeaway there was that yes you can you for a race to kind of actually make an impact yes you can have the greatest production ever but if you don't have the right people you're not going to generate that attention and then you kind of look at the flip side in terms of okay so what about um uh, kind of women's racing which uh, we know there, there were uh had some uh, issues let's say with the actual kind of uh, production of it in terms of showing equal time of women on on the broadcast um the actual mentions of those were were lower but they're still quite significant relative to um, other men as well so there's an equal balance there outside of putting killing joe on the side equal balance there in terms of kind of the awareness um, and the conversation around individuals which is really um, fascinating to see and um, especially when it came to like searches afterwards as well actual search of trail running ultra running those things skyrocketed afterwards and so again for for the sport it goes to show that when we put um, uh, kind of more focus on the intention in terms of distribution in live streaming and in, in terms of uh, having things on youtube and lower um like lower actually was uh, one of the larger dimensions um, of that weekend um, on kind of french twitter um, all around trail running which is a fascinating thing to see in like yeah. the uh, the top 10 twitter list like trending fascinating that trail and could drive that attention yeah. um and only by kind of analyzing what um people were saying and looking at these kind of search results and everything else um social related we're able to see that like traveling actually can make an impact trail running is getting attention um, and people are very interested we just need to kind of figure out the whole kind of distribution and making it all kind of um packaging up really like a hundred mile race how do you how do you make that kind of uh viewer friendly yeah i'm just actually i pulled up the the pdf here on my computer because i <laughs> i downloaded it and one of the things that i think is really interesting that you found and this is just specific to the twitter conversation is that in france 
13.8 million people were reached, which is roughly 21% of the entire population of France was at least, uh, in, uh, there was an impression uh, from a Twitter conversation with 21% of the French population around UTMB. It's a fascinating saturation. Of course, that is their home country. And of course, the French are, are proud uh, sportsmen and fans of endurance and mountain sport, unlike a lot of other populations. Um, and uh, But I think it's an exciting data point for how our sport can really speak to audiences and, and really become appointment television for populations around the world. This episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and the new salted margarita flavor of Gnarly Hydrate made with extra sodium, 500 milligrams per serving to be exact. As we head into the summer months, hotter weather means more loss of fluid, means greater need to supplement electrolytes. You guys know I am an electrolyte evangelist. Sodium, magnesium, chloride, and potassium are critical for proper hydration level, nerve function, muscle function, and body pH all important stuff for performing at our best out on the trails. Guys, this product might be my favorite gnarly product of all time. You must give it a try. Delicious margarita flavor, some savory saltiness to it, and all the electrolytes and B vitamins you need, especially for us salty sweaters. As they say, it tastes like the real thing, but it won't make you dance on the tables and it won't make you wake up with a headache. Gnarly Hydrate Salted Margarita. Find it at gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. So maybe let's transition and talk a little bit about the Golden Trail series, because I think uh, this is also a, a fascinating, you know, conversation that you'll be able to add a lot of color to. Maybe just first explain what the new deal is with Eurosport and how it's similar or different from UTMB's distribution deals with Lakeep and outside. Yes. So uh, Golden Trail series this year going on Eurosport, I think, is the, the absolute highlight of the package. And so for uh, listeners that don't know about um, Eurosport and its reach, um, it's across all of Europe. It was originally founded as the uh, a sporting arm of uh, the European Broadcasting Association, um, uh, just to kind of buy sports packages and distribute them. So this is 53 countries we're talking about here, 20 languages. Um, I can't remember the, the exact reach of kind of Eurosport here, but it's going to be somewhere close to about 50, 50 odd million. So it's a lot. It's a lot of people. And so what this um, kind of new um, uh, new deal kind of showcase was the Golden Trail series has kind of uh, got two hours worth of uh, live footage on there. Uh, Eurosport 2, I believe it is, um, physically on broadcast um, for two races um, uh, that are the, I believe, Series in Al and Mont Blanc Marathon. But also we have um, the uh, two other races in terms of the final. Um, they're showing uh, both the women's and men's um, final first stage. Um, uh, and so, yeah, it's um, fascinating from that point because it's a complete change from UTMB. UTMB going for that live streaming with sticking um, largely online. Um, yet we know that um, they have those kind of two to six hours that didn't really change on Leo Queen. Gone Trail Series are kind of uh, taking the lead here and gone, right, we're going to go for the biggest broadcast in Europe and we're going to go large. Uh, so securing this distribution, live TV is an absolute boon for Gone Trail World Series. 
Yeah. In your newsletter, you talk a little bit about the competition that's evolving between Golden Trail and UTMB for fan attention and for advertisers. What's your high level evaluation as to how that's playing out and who's executing better in that competition? I think, okay, so let's take it from um, the perspective of um, media distribution. So um, when it comes to uh, attracting advertisers, dollars, you want to make sure that you have um, right distribution in the right places, the right people. So um, as we've kind of talked about with um, uh, demographics earlier, our demography is largely a middle-aged older audience. Um, that is the same audience that is a pay TV audience. So people, you have to pay to kind of watch Eurosport um, uh, like you do like a normal kind of core TV. Um, that means that from a gone trail series, they, and for me, they have got the edge here because they are kind of um, broadcasting and, and distributing their content to people um, that are going to be more uh, aligned to the demographics of the sport. Um, we also know that um, uh, kind of the European population of trail is is, is quite vast let's say um and the actual attention as we kind of showed with the kind of twitter data is is already there so putting it onto the um kind of the one of the biggest uh, sports podcasts in europe really wins from, from my side in terms of um distribution when it comes to let's say the content format um UTMB have been uh, relatively um strict let's say or limited with their um, actual content they're putting out outside of their races they've done the live stream they'll do maybe a highlight package um, for, for the big races but they have 36 different 34 different races it's very hard to kind of create all this content for all these different things and knowing you're only live streaming some of them so i think they're struggling with the breadth and so as again when it comes to uh terms of the media value of that um you kind of you struggle to see um how they can really how they can really expand when all they can do is just keep adding more live streaming to their individual races. Yes, it's more distribution, but you then have to ask, what's the actual attention to all these individual races? How do you maintain it for an entire season of, not even a season, but 34 different races? Yeah. It's, it's going to be very difficult for them to commercialize. Um, when we look at kind of the content around uh, Golden Trail series, um, I remember listening to a podcast um, uh, with Greg uh, Flay himself, and he was kind of, he he called uh, trail runners the actors and the race the stage, which was, it was a very interesting observation. But for me, it kind of gives an ill insight into his, his mindset in terms of he's seeing sport as an entertainment product as his goal. Yeah. He sees long trail series as an entertainment product. So he's gearing a lot of everything in terms of his content and distribution, in terms of kind of uh, the race series and the formats of them, in terms of his uh, like changing with the finals over time, trying to experiment with what works. Mm -hmm. They're really gearing towards trying to make sure that uh, they have the lifestyle content there, kind of their, their social feed is always filled with like little tidbits from athletes as well as the race highlights. Yep. Yeah, of course, their uh, kind of highlight are there what do they call it now? The, the They've got the highlight package, but also the kind of Drive to Survive type documentary series yeah. that they have on YouTube, which was, I, I loved it. During lockdown, that was actually one of my favorite things to watch. That really kept me going. Um, but it just goes to show that the entertainment factors there for trail running, you can mm -hmm. really build a story and narrative around trail running as a product. It's there. 
Um, and I think Colton Trail Series were really winning that race. So for me, they're going at it two different ways, UTMB, going for the more um, live, live streaming online, seeing what works there. I think Golden Trail Series, by being quite bold with their approach, um, also also having, of course, shorter kind of race series benefits them. But just being bolder in their approach into broadcasting really is kind of, for me, the, the winning kind of recipe. Yeah, I agree. And Greg has been a pioneer in trail running media since his earliest days at Solomon with Solomon Running TV, which... I think in many ways accelerated this growth trajectory that the sport has been on for the last 15 years. You mentioned the format, and I figured this would be a fun thing to talk about too. Obviously, Golden Trail Series racing is shorter than most of the UTMB races are. And I wondered if you had any thoughts or comments on short distance versus long distance and how that might impact media rights deals, what's more attractive to the distribution engines and to advertisers yeah it's it's a it's a difficult one to kind of difficult challenge for utmb let's say when it comes to any form of ultra running um uh, kind of producer or race director you have um almost over 24 hours worth of kind of footage to be getting through and to be filming maybe if you're just want to be focusing on the front runners you've got what 11 to 15 hours there you've got to be covering a race for as a uh from a media rights owner that's really difficult to kind of sell uh because you know that uh not many people are going to be maintaining attention for the entire thing uh, Tour de France went through the exact same period when they were kind of growing. Um, they uh, went through uh, multiple different kind of organizations towards trying to sell the product and in the end had to settle with kind of a news organization and it worked um, and it became one of the biggest things. But it was only after, I think it's a period of like 30, 40 years that they actually were able to commercialize Tour de France as a product. And even still, Tour de France is actually one of the uh, smallest earning uh, race series in cycling um, that there is, even though it's one of the biggest there there is. Hmm. So there's still that difficulty there. Um, we, and when we think about our kind of media landscape as we are now, um, everyone's trying to move towards shorter. So everyone from in terms of like the content we're, um, we're kind of seeing and uh, the kind of formats that, are, of course, social feeds are producing, they're all got geared towards social, um, social short form content. Whereas, so in that respect, you'd think, okay, Golden Trail Series, um, there's a lot more advertisers that want to go for short form because they know that they can um, uh, have a, an audience that's actually um, engaged with the viewer, with the ads at the time. They know that people are going to be seeing it, paying attention. Um, and so within the battle of attention, the short format is always going to be winning. Mm-hmm. Um, when it comes to media rights deals, they're likely to be able to get um, higher media rights deals because, again, the product is interesting, product engaged, it's audiences people are willing to sit down for two three hours um to, to watch a race to come to its conclusion mm-hmm. but they're not willing to sit unless they're kind of doing the ironing and washing the pots or something um to to watch an 11 hour uh, epic uh, it's just not going to happen yeah unless it's me so yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I, I don't know. I think this is one of the reasons why I'm so bullish on shorter distance trail racing right now. It's obviously it speaks to a much 
larger audience, not only from a participation perspective, but from just a fan perspective and people who would be willing to sit down and consume that broadcast experience. It's a much larger pool of people that would watch a one or two hour race versus a 15 to 24 hour race. Back to the economics question, you speculate in the newsletter that the Golden Trail World Series has a time by relationship with Eurosport. Can you explain what a time buy is and how that's different probably from the UTMB model? Yes. So um, a time buy um, is typically, uh, well, in terms of media rights deals, typically a um, uh, kind of a sports um, product, be it a league, be it a um, a race series, will go to a broadcaster um, and uh, they will have to, uh, well, the broadcaster will then pay um, for the rights to show that. So we have like an NFL, um, huge rights deals. We have, um, everyone has kind of huge valuations because um, you're essentially giving the um, broadcaster a lot of interesting content that people really want to watch. Um, now, with a time buy, that uh, whole kind of transaction is reversed, where um, if you're a sports organization that um, is trying to prove itself almost, you don't have a large audience, you don't have the numbers or the kind of the economics to showcase that there are a lot of people paying attention to your sport. What you have to do is you have to um, put money up um, to the broadcaster to pay for that time on their channel. Um, so from a it's a very niche thing. It, it really rarely happens. Um, the last um, recorded rumor of that on a more broader scale was uh, LAV Golf or Live Golf. Um, they were uh, scheduled, well, they were meant to um, be uh, kind of talking to NBC about doing a time by and there to be able to do, um, put their uh, kind of whole golf series on there. That kind of fell through in the end. Um, and LAV Golf hasn't really succeeded at the moment. But um, it's super rare. Um, and I think it's one of those things that as a sport, I, again, um, I admire the boldness. I think we need to do this. Mm-hmm. I think it's a risk because you're putting a lot of money up. I think we need to do this. This is all, I, I heard this through uh, different sources, let's say, as towards uh, uh, kind of what they speculated to be based on their conversations with your sport previously. Mm-hmm. Um but it's um, it's one of those things that we need to be putting our content out there. And if it means um, Golden Trail Series making this risk, making this leap, um, I think it's a great move for them. Um, and obviously, well, we'll see how it kind of proves out. But I think in terms of economics, if they can then prove from these kind of um, uh, was eight hours worth of content in Eurosport and have the exact kind of economics of we were on one of the largest broadcasters in Europe, we got this amount of audience, we got this amount of advertiser attention. Um, and retained attention for this amount of time. This is really compelling. This is how you start building that media rights engine. Yeah. This is where the kind of the the money starts coming. And I know we're we're very capitalist in our conversation at the moment. It's all money, money, money. But the the, the end goal here is that the, the broader the media rights deal, yeah. the better uh, in terms of the product is. The more intent potential kind of revenue for uh, kind of runners in terms of uh, the hopefully the pops that they have. We know that doesn't necessarily always work with UTMB, but um, we know that is a potential and what should happen in the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's uh, just creating a a bigger pie that will hopefully enhance the trail running experience of people with the front, middle and back of the pack. 
This episode is brought to you by HVMN and their Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketones are important macronutrients with clinically studied benefits for increasing energy and focus throughout the day. Ketone IQ is brain fuel, naturally increasing your blood ketone levels in just a simple, handy two-ounce shot. The perfect thing to throw down the hatch whenever you need an extra boost, either in your training or in your daily life. My wife Harmony and I have become really enamored with this product, honestly, between running our business business, my increasing training load, and being parents, we've been operating at full capacity for a long time. I had specifically become overly reliant on caffeine throughout the day until I started taking this product, and I have to say it has really helped me to feel more focused and energized, and especially in my training. I have been having a ketone IQ shot in the mornings before all my long runs, and it really does help me feel steady energy for hours on end, even when the baby has kept me up at night. This stuff has evidently become really popular in cycling and is just now being discovered by runners. So go check it out. You won't be disappointed. Visit hvmn.com. Look up the ketone IQ. Use code freetrail20 for 20% off. hvmn.com. Use code freetrail20. I'd love to talk a little bit more about kind of broader media trends. And one thing that I'd love to hear you speak about selfishly is just kind of the bundling and unbundling of media. Like obviously outside has rolled up all these different sort of outdoor and lifestyle publications. Meanwhile, the environment for individual creators like yourself has never been better with Substack and podcasts and things like that. I sort of get self-conscious that we're kind of taking a middle path between those two things at Free Trail, sort of being a media brand, but that is sort of creator-led. Can you talk about sort of the current media environment and how you see the balance between individuals and institutions? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating it's a fascinating story in terms of following media at the moment because we've gone, as you say, from um, media being produced by other people. Media is something that um, back in the day, you'd be a journalist, uh, you'd be, uh, maybe you'd work at a news organization, a, a radio uh, kind of program. They're really small jobs, not, not many people get them, and media was produced for you. You consume the media, that was it. You consumed that. The whole kind of dem- uh, democratization of um, media formats and media kind of uh, channels making like newsletters more easily doable, podcasts easy to make. Um, it's one of these fascinating things that's allowed um, new voices to come in and to kind of really um, open up uh, the whole landscape. So um, what's really interesting in that divergence is that, of course, uh, ultra running, trail running as, as kind of history hasn't had that mainstream attention. It has it had uh, a few niche uh, publications that have serviced it in terms of Iron Far and Trail Runner uh, and Ultra Runner magazine. Um, but they're, they're small, there's not many. And so as uh, this kind of democratization came in, we, of course, had a really large bottom-up upswelling of um, like fan-generated content. We've got like uh, podcasts like yours, we've got a whole rich podcast ecosystem. We have um, newsletters starting to uh, kind of come up as well. We have a huge amount of YouTube content from like so Billy Yang and such like that and uh, other vloggers and uh, kind of uh, video things. And so it's, it's one of those really fascinating things is that from media perspective we have all this new content and we have it all from different personal perspectives we've got a whole richness there but now we have as as you kind of alluded to we have so much there um it's like how do you as a 
individual organization stand out. And so this is where we start to be seeing this whole kind of bundling, bundling, unbundling kind of aspect come in even more. So the likes of outside, of course, bundled because they they saw that all these uh, individual outdoor, uh, outdoor sports or their publications were actually unprofitable um, but they served a really niche that are really committed to them and so they're like okay so outdoors people are actually like multiple sports and we should probably bundle it all together we bring it all together they like reading things but they also like watching things let's put that all in like one subscription package and then that's what people buy it's therefore they're not buying subscriptions to individual things they're buying that whole thing the whole lifestyle around being um, an out, uh, outdoors person outdoor sports enthusiast and so the uh, bundle comes in there it becomes a popularity um, but then you have to kind of the kind of contend with the economics of um, okay, so you have a whole bunch of things and outside again in terms of uh, as an example in terms of the problems of bundling is that you have so many different communities, so many different content formats, all trying to serve different purposes. How do you as an organization again make sure that you are um, kind of giving the right attention to all these individual things and serving all your individual communities yeah. um, without kind of uh, watering it down. Um, and what we've can found is that that's a very hard task to do. It's a very hard thing to commercialize. So the subscriptions work to a certain extent, but you need to still have ads, which then mean you still need to have service-based content, which mean you have to service different people. And so like the whole history of unbundling and bundling, we're kind of seeing again now a, more of an unbundling towards uh, more people going, well, you know, I could just have a unique voice and be myself on this one individual thing. And that could be um, uh, more profitable than me being actually um, going, uh, getting into this bundle. So it's a, it's a, it's a confusing, complex, yeah. let's say, um, <laughs> uh, place to be. Um, but uh, it's really interesting that there's lots of different business models. So as a media organization like yourself, Dylan, like you can diversify in so many different ways. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'll have to put more time on your calendar to have you advise me <laughs> a little bit more specifically. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll resist the temptation to talk about the whole outside thing uh, more at this point. But I think there's a rich conversation to be had just about that, you know, and who they're targeting, because I very much view myself as being in the center of the bullseye of the type of person that that, that subscription product is meant for. Somebody who would mm -hmm. never subscribe to Velo News, for example, but who would be interested in reading uh, the occasional article. But, you know, with the Gaia mapping, for example, that alone is worth the price of the outside subscription bundle to me. But at the same time, yeah, how do you how do you stand up an entire, you know, media ecosystem around that sort of like low price subscription product? It's a tough problem and I think they're they're feeling that right now as the whole economy and ad market gets shaky at the same time. So, I'd love to hear you talk about other sports that are doing a good job like outside of trail media, is there something that you look to right now that you feel like you know, people like Free Trail can learn from um, that are sort of executing well in niche sports? Let's think. So in terms of, um, I think one really good example at the moment um, is something a lot of your audience might not be uh, aware of what rugby in general. So rugby union is something I, I follow a lot. Um, uh, and that um, has traditionally been um, kind of the 
I guess you'd call it like kind of the second sport to, to soccer in, in the UK. Now, they've always um, uh, had kind of TV rights deals and things like that, and they've always been quite traditional. Uh, and they always attracted quite a uh, upper middle class audience. And they've been quite kind of, um, uh, let's say, like strict with their content. They've just been producing the same old thing over and over again. And so they got to a pattern where they didn't produce anything interesting apart from kind of producing the highlights and the, the um, package. And so what they've done as an organization, um, the kind of uh, the rugby, uh, rugby football union, is that they purchased a media arm. So there is um, uh, kind of a whole rugby website, uh, Rugby Pass, that um, they bought and they produced, um, they kind of now produce a lot of content that helps kind of um, push up the whole institution of Rugby Football Union, but push into new audiences. What um, Rugby Pass do really well is they really um, do kind of, like the kind of drive to survive, like behind the scenes content, they go to individual schools, they um, are literally kind of high schools and, and kind of colleges, um, and they uh, talk about the rugby teams there, they go to kind of Sunday league rugby um, clubs, they really build up the community and build proper uh, intelligent content around it. It's not just, um, isn't this funny? It is like uh, proper in-depth uh, kind of uh, content. And it's it engaged a lot of people. Like I, I follow it uh, and follow it for, for years. Um, uh, whereas the kind of whole product of kind of uh, professional rugby has been relatively the same um, here and there. Like you follow your team and they'll develop some interesting content. That's it. But this whole kind of development of um, building out um, a medium, knowing that you, um, the individual kind of organization yourself isn't necessarily doing the, the best job and can't, doesn't have the capabilities to do it, um, really has been quite interesting in terms of now reaching entirely new audiences, um, uh, which uh, really kind of develops um, again in terms of, let's go back to economics, in terms of like the actual uh, product of it, media rights deals, you have more people, you have more advertisers coming in, more kind of people trying to target younger audiences that these uh, this content are kind of targeting. Again, it adds different layer of story to it, that narrative, there's a richness um, that they're, they're kind of talking in and around um, the games themselves. Um, uh, the, the whole kind of package of like pre, during, post content um, is rich in terms of not just let's, let's do an interview and let's talk about the game, but let's have um, people like just fans commentate on it um, and what their perspective, get the humour involved. Yeah. It's something that's really like, kind of sometimes missing from traveling a lot is kind of like a very serious sport. But if we have more humour, this kind of thing, yeah. it really adds to that whole kind of um, flavour uh, really of um, of how you engage in, uh, with your sport. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, I'll check that out. And I think you're, you're spot on, you know, and I think it does always come back to content uh, meets community and lifestyle. Right. And where where those three circles converge in a Venn diagram is where the best media exists, at least in my opinion, wrapping up, I'd love to hear just quickly kind of what your goals are for the future of trail mix like what what can people expect to see you tackling here in the second half of 2023 and beyond yeah so like i uh going through a busy patch with, with work but what i kind of tend to do with trail mix um uh is really kind of develop it from a perspective of making sure that these these deals these kind of new storylines that are coming out about um the kind of uh, media that utmb are producing and golden trail series attention um, but also that wider ecosystem i want to make sure that um 
um, not just focusing on the big, big uh, kind of race directors and things like that, but also the individual podcast producers, um, the individual kind of uh, the writers that are in- making interesting storylines. There's a lot of narratives that in and around our kind of media landscape, which I think we just aren't touched. We just we don't really talk about our own media that much. Um, and so from a kind of trail mix perspective, I'm, I want to try and make sure that we're kind of pushing that um, up to the forefront. Like these things are important. Like these things are how uh, uh, how the sausage is made, for, for lack of a better term. Yeah. Um, and to, so for us um, as kind of like uh, consumers of this content, we should know and want to be interested in this stuff. Yeah. So I'll be kind of uh, writing a lot about that. Uh, and uh, hopefully, uh, again, more into kind of an interview series as well. Um, no podcasts. I, I can't do uh, the whole <laughs> like, I don't know how you do it, Dylan, in terms of co- producing so many podcasts. Yeah. Content, it's, it's incredible. I'll be sticking to written newsletters. That is me. <laughs> well, you do a great job. So before we sign off, I've got a couple of closing questions that have become tradition to ask our guests here on the show in recent months. Uh, and the first one is, who is one person that you admire inside or outside of sports, can be living or dead? And why is it that you admire that person? Uh, I'm going to give a very niche reference to your your, your followers and your listeners. Um, a man called Andy Burnham. Andy Burnham is the mayor of Greater Manchester. Um, and as a, a northerner born and bred, um, the kind of uh, swing of politics, everything uh, in economics, the focus and attention is always on the South. Andy Burnham has um, been very strongly um, uh, kind of putting forward um, his kind of conviction that the North should be uh, a better place and should be having greater attention. And I think for, for me in terms of what I admire about him to be really specific is he's actually, uh, he's putting a lot of action behind his words. He's put a lot of courage and a lot of conviction behind his passion. Um, and it's coming out in terms of acting. A lot of politicians, a lot of people will always say a lot of big things, but he's actually proving it in action. And I think that's something I, I so greatly admire in terms of people that not only have strong conviction, but follow it up with, uh, with even greater actions. Walk the walk and talk the talk, right? Exactly. Lead by example. I love it. Final question for you. What is one truth that you've learned about yourself or about life in general through your participation in trail running? I think for me, like, you can, let's go very soft here. It's you, you are better. You can do more than what you think you can. I think it's very simply like, doing this whole training for the 100 miler you look at the training plan um it is daunting it is you look at the mileage you're meant to be doing and all the back-to-backs and everything and you're like i don't physically think i can do that yeah but you build it up step by step small increments every week every day you're doing something contributing to it towards hopefully in eight, eight weeks time touch wood you actually have a 100 mile race and you finish uh, something that very very few people can ever think about so it's that thing of like you can actually do better you just have to again the time the effort smaller things here and there doesn't have to be big but just developing that that's really kind of changed my perspective as towards like how i approach any form of challenge really in life um it's it's never nothing's too big or too daunting you just have to kind of break it up and, and kind of go forward with that Step by step. I love it. Well, Matt, it's been great to have you on the show. I'll encourage all of our listeners to go subscribe to the Trail Mix newsletter, and maybe we can continue this conversation in future episodes as some of these rights deals evolve and the sport continues to grow. But thanks so much for your time and your insight. Amazing. Thank you very much. It's been amazing. 
Thanks so much to Matt, the second Matt Walsh to come and drop amazing insights on the podcast. Make sure you go subscribe to Matt's newsletter, Trail Mix. It is completely free and usually arrives in my inbox every other week with great commentary like what you heard in today's episode. I put a link to the Trail Mix Substack in the show notes, so please do go check it out and show Matt some love. Free Trail Pro members, let me know what you thought of the episode. Jump in Slack and share your feedback in the Free Trail Podcast Slack channel. For those who aren't members, come try a free trial for Free Trail Pro at the link in the show notes. A big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland, runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off my signature shoe. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com, use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off these great nutrition products. HVMN, visit hvmn.com, use code FREETRAIL20 for 20% off the ketone IQ. Appreciate you all for listening. I love you dearly. It means a lot to have you here. We'll talk to you again very soon. Bye-bye.